Well, friends, this morning we are one week out from Palm Sunday, and that means we're two weeks out from Easter, and we spend a lot of time talking about those two events. So I got a little bit curious as to what exactly was happening right before the triumphal entry, that moment that we call Palm Sunday. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to do it from the Gospel of Matthew. Usually we have somebody read that whole scripture beforehand, but this is a really large chunk. So I have put it into the sermon this morning, and I would encourage you, if you brought your own Bible with you, to take that out and turn to Matthew. We're going to do Matthew 20, 20 as, as our starting point. Let's, let's pray together and we'll study the Word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. I think in this service, the answer is going to be pretty unanimous, but let me ask you a question. How many of you are familiar with the term helicopter parenting? Helicopter parenting. If you don't know what that is, it's it's a term that's used to describe parents who hover, and, and they hover over their kids, and they intervene in almost every aspect of their kids' lives, right up to, and including, in some cases, job interviews, um, mortgage and auto loans, and, and how you do that, and the selection of college classes. Now, there's another new trend in parenting. It's called redshirting. How many of you have heard of this, redshirting? Redshirting is when you intentionally hold your child back from starting kindergarten so that when they go to kindergarten, they are almost a full year older than every other kid that they're with. And the idea behind it is that that way your kid starts out on top, that that they are going to be the top of their class right away. And the research on this trend is really, really fascinating. It happens most frequently with parents who are wealthy, well-educated, and who have boys. And they want to make sure, they want to make sure that their kid is given a leg up over and against everybody else's kids. Now, you may agree or or disagree with with these behaviors, but at the heart of the matter, you have to recognize that, that what's happening is that as parents, we want the absolute best for our kids. We might go about it the completely wrong way, but, but the idea is that we love our kids and, and we want the best for him. There have been those sitcoms, I'm sure you've seen them, where you have a couple and they're expecting a baby and they're like in month three of the pregnancy, but we're already going to interview with the daycare so that we can get our name on a waiting list because if our kid doesn't go to that one specific daycare, their whole life is over, just ruined. If you can apply the theory that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, then you can't blame parents for wanting to be proactive in scoping out and and collecting the best opportunities for their kids. And that's exactly what James and John's mom did for him in, in this morning's scripture. This is Matthew 20, 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, came to him with her sons, they've gone before Jesus, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what, what do you want? And she said, declare 
that those two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in the kingdom. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? As it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, this interaction comes within minutes. Within minutes of Jesus telling his disciples for the third time that he is ultimately going to die, that he is going to be sacrificed, the Son of Man, for the kingdom of God. And, and so within minutes of that, swooping in out of nowhere is Mama Zebedee, and she is asking that when Jesus does die, that her sons be given a seat of honor. Now, there is one redeeming quality to this whole interaction. Mrs. Zebedee, with, within her request, acknowledges that she believes that Jesus will, in fact, have a kingdom. And that's not a really small or insignificant thing because back then, not too many people actually believed that Jesus was truly the Son of God and that he was going to be the king of the kingdom that would have no end. But for whatever reason, Mrs. Zebedee believed to the point of wanting to make sure that when that time came, her sons were going to be covered. And you can't fault her for wanting the best for her kids, except that you have to understand these weren't little kids. James and John were full-grown men at this point. All right, so now we have, we have these two men that are estimated somewhere between 25 and 30 showing up with their mommy, right, to, to ask a question of Jesus. Now, we laugh about that, but here's the, here's the crazy part about this. New studies are showing that the new age for adulthood is 26 years old. So that being said then, maybe Mama Zebedee wasn't all that far off. We have adults in, in our congregation that are right in that age range. Imagine being 27 years old and having your mom stand right there in front of you asking Jesus to give you a place of honor in the kingdom. Now, Jesus, being Jesus, handled it with a grace that I think would, would have been seriously lacking had any of the rest of us decided to respond to this. And, and he answered, you don't know what you're asking. You, you don't understand what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? So interesting what Jesus has done. It was Mama Zebedee that started this conversation, but he is recognizing that James and John are adults, they are big boys here. They can handle this. And Jesus starts talking to them. And he's going to have a conversation with them. And he wants them to reframe their thought process by thinking about what it's going to take for them to get to that place of honor. Have they really thought that through? So at the moment, at the point of asking, Jesus is on the verge of drinking the cup of wrath. So we need to get a visual on this, and I want you to put Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where we talk about the cup of wrath, and I want you to know that we're not talking about a cup like this one. This is not what we are thinking about here when we think about the cup of wrath. What we are thinking about here 
is a cup, if it helps you to picture it, maybe if you went from the ground to about here. And then I want you to make this cup out of granite or, or marble or some kind of very heavy stone. So that this cup that you're picturing is so heavy that even if you don't put anything in it, you're still not going to be able to lift it up. That's the weight of what Jesus is talking about. And inside of that cup contains the weight of the world. All of the sin, all of the pain, all of the shame of the universe resides in this figurative cup. And Jesus is going to take it all in. He is going to take it all in upon himself. And so since James and John want to be with Jesus, or at least that's, that's mom's plan here, Jesus simply asked them, are you able to drink this cup that I'm going to drink? And they said to him, we are able. We are able. Do you, do you think that they really knew what they were saying? Do you think that they had any idea what they were in for? How often have you, have you truly thoughtfully considered what it means for you to follow Jesus? How much it is going to cost you to do that? Nonetheless, these two insisted they were ready to follow. Can we say that without hesitation about ourselves? They, they didn't exactly know what they were signing up for. Jesus had told them, but we know that the disciples didn't listen half the time. But we do know. We do know what we're going to get ourselves into as we're following Jesus. We've already been told a million gazillion times, so we know what we're talking about. Are we going to be able to answer with integrity that, yeah, we're signing up to follow Jesus? And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left, that is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by the Father. So consider this the disclosure statement. Yes, you can go ahead and follow me. I hope that you will. However, if you are doing it so that you get reserved seating in the kingdom of heaven, that's, that's not what we're about. And that's not what you're going to get promised. So that's what happens in that interaction with the two of them. But remember that there's ten other disciples. And when the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not, not to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as ransom for many. What I think is interesting here is that the other ten, they weren't mad that the other two had asked Jesus for special treatment. They were mad that they didn't think of it first. That's, that's what they were upset about, right? And those of you that are parents, right, and, and, and you've probably been in this situation, you see another parent, they've pulled off something pretty spectacular for their kid, 
and you kind of get angry and judgy about it, well, that happens because what you're thinking is, man, I wish I'd thought about that ahead of time. And so that's what's going on here. And Jesus hones in on that right away. He, he is on it. He acknowledges that all 12 of them have a very special relationship with Jesus, but hadn't they learned anything from all this time that they spent with him, all this time that they were running around together, being around people, being around Jesus, feeding the 5,000. Remember what happened when we get to the feeding of the 5,000? The disciples have this reaction, and it ranges anywhere from, you know, this is not our problem, to we just can't do this. I mean, it seems like a good idea, but we just can't do this. When the children came to Jesus, it was the disciples who were the first ones to try and push them away. Every time Jesus did something for the least of these among us, the disciples were the ones who would throw up all of the excuses, all the reasons why it wouldn't work, how it wouldn't be possible, how it simply could not be done. But interestingly enough, now that we're talking about places of honor and recognition, every one of them wants a piece of it. There's no barriers here, no roadblocks. We're all, we're all going to get recognized. Well, could that possibly be a description of us as well? We really like the glory part, but that following part, that following part, that's where we have the reservations as, as to why we can't possibly do it, why we can't possibly be the ones to step up and serve. So the question then is, are, are we looking to rule, but not necessarily to serve? In the first two interactions, we're, we're looking at requests that are all about status. Who's going to be the top dog? Who's going to have the highest title or honor? But they're not the last thing that happens right before the triumphal entry. Matthew presents one final interaction where there is a special request that is made of Jesus right before his triumphal entry in Holy Week, what we call Palm Sunday. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And so the crowd immediately and sternly ordered them to be quiet, but they shouted even more loudly, Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Jesus stood still and called them, saying, What do you want me to do for you? You just heard those words because that's what he asked Mrs. Zebedee. What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Let our eyes be opened. Move with compassion. Jesus touches their eyes. And scripture says, immediately, immediately they regained their sight and they followed him. Have you, ever, have you ever been on a mission that you're, you're so focused in on the mission, you're trying to get from point A to point B, that you get very distracted and you can't see what's right around you? I, I often think about teachers first thing in the morning, right before the bell, because that is a very magical time, that five minutes right before the bell rings. It's when all the students feel compelled, compelled to come up to you. And, and they want to talk to you about, about their birthday or homework or tests 
or their friends, dogs, turtles, pet, cow. That is the moment that we have to discuss this. Or, and I know you can't possibly imagine this because you've never ever done this, but imagine the pastor on a Sunday morning and, and we'll just call the pastor, I don't know, for conversation's sake, we'll call her Hope. And so just imagine... <laughs> Just imagine what it's like to be hope on a Sunday morning and you're getting ready to start a service. Like, it's, it's coming because Pastor Sung's up there and he's got the guitar and they're going. But that is the exact moment when you have decided, I have a deep theological question. <laughs> and we need to discuss this right now. Or better yet, hey, Pastor Hope, I know you're about to walk up, but you need to know the women's toilet is running. And you should do something about that right now. And then even when you go into the grocery store and you try to grab a gallon of milk and you get stopped by half of Bradenton before you can escape, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to have people coming at you. So here we have Jesus, and he's headed to Jerusalem, and he knows that his earthly life is about to come to an end. He's just explained it three different times. And yet he's still surrounded by these crowds of people, including the 12 disciples, who have just had their own little temper tantrum over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And in the midst of all of that commotion, here come two more voices. And it's these two blind men, and they're sitting by the side of the road. They are cast off because at this point they are less than, they are less worthy, less valuable in the eyes of the world, their status is so low that them being cast off puts them below the animals. So these are not people of influence, and yet they're going to call out to Jesus. Jesus, the Savior of the world. They somehow thought that they could, ha could call out to Jesus. He is a busy man. But here's the crazy part. They're not vying for seats next to Jesus. They just want a seat, period. And their request is that Jesus would have mercy on them. They're asking for mercy. They're not asking for honor. They're not asking for stature, but mercy, compassion, recognition that their lives could change and that they might be worth something, even something very small. But the crowds... They're on a mission, and the disciples are on a mission, and all of them tell the men, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Don't you know people are asking him for stuff all the time? Can you, can you imagine James and John looking at these two guys on the side of the road and be like, stop. Our, our request was important. Your request, not so much. But these men, they have nothing to lose, so they shout even louder just in case, just in case Jesus might hear them. And they're willing to risk it because it's not like they have any stature in the first place. There's nowhere for them to go but up, and they believe that Jesus is going to be worth risking it. So when Jesus answers them, he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? How many times did Jesus ask that question? How many people approached Jesus who wanted something? We're asking for something. How many times do we talk to Jesus because at the end of the day, what we really want is something. We want something more from Jesus. 
And given what he's just been asked about special placement in the kingdom, it probably wouldn't have surprised Jesus in the slightest to get yet another selfish request about somebody's status. The surprise comes when these two men finally have Jesus' attention, and all that they ask for is that their eyes would be opened. That's all they asked for. They just wanted to see, because if they could see, they knew that their whole lives would dramatically change. Their value, their self-worth, their employability, and get this, their ability to serve other people and become contributors in their society. They're not asking for honor and glory. They just want to see so that they can contribute to the community. And Jesus grants their requests. So what happens? Immediately, immediately, says the scripture, they gain their sight and they follow him. Jesus came not so that we could be CEOs or world rulers. It used to be in in my old congregation that during election time, we would have this influx of people in our church, and they'd be there so faithfully all through the general election, and every one of them was a politician. Every single one of them was a politician because they figured... They figured if they were just seen in the company of those that might have influence, that they could be elevated to a higher stature. But Jesus came to serve. He came to lift up and to transform lives, and we're called to follow him. It's not a position of greatness or importance, so if that's why you're here, you're going to be disappointed. Instead, following Jesus is about putting you into places where people are hurting, and they need hope, places where people are dying to live, places where his glory is the light in the darkness. So we don't follow him in hopes of gaining a special place in the kingdom. My mansion's not going to be any bigger than yours. We don't follow him in hopes of gaining a special place in the kingdom. We follow him because without him, there is no kingdom. In this last week before Holy Week, I want you to do some heart work. It's hard, but it is heart work. I want you to consider, what do you want from Jesus now? What have you asked of him in the past? Why is it that you are asking what you're asking? Are you following him to get what you want? like we're in some kind of business contract with each other, or because you're looking to have your life transformed so that you can contribute even more to the kingdom of God. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus transforms lives so that they are closer to his heart. And Jesus' heart is to serve, not to be served. Jesus has very little concern, very little concern, for your seating assignment at his table. He is much more concerned that you know that you have a place at the table at all. Jesus is looking for followers and servers, not for spectators and takers. So which are you?
Which are you? Let's pray. Holy God, we, we confess that there are times when we want it to be all about us, what we're going to get out of it, how it's going to benefit us. And sometimes what's worse is that we plan our actions accordingly so that we can game or manipulate the system. Remind us that you call us to serve, to contribute, to be a part of what you have going. And I would ask this morning that as we gather at the table, that you would particularly speak to those who aren't sure that they even have a place at the table, who for whatever reason are carrying a burden that is so big, that is so deep, that they think that maybe the table's not for them. And I pray for those who think that they deserve the best seat at the table, that they are so special and so honored and so privileged that they've bought their way to a better seat. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Be with us in the breaking of the bread and in the sharing of the cup. With thanksgiving, we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.